Hi everyone, welcome back to the Jump Cloud Partner Podcast. Today we spoke with Teresia Joseph, CEO of Tavanka Networks, about her experience with Jump Cloud and how it simplified their onboarding and offboarding experience. Hope you enjoy. Hi, Teresia. Thanks for so much for joining us today to learn a little bit more about your experience with Jump Cloud. So before we get going, can you maybe tell us a little bit about yourselves, your role and uh, what you do within your MSP? Good morning, Chris. Yeah, my name is Theresia. I'm um, working with Tavenka. It's a managed service provider. We're helping small to medium businesses to manage their IT. And um, we're based and la- uh, located in Vancouver, Canada. And I'm super excited to be here today. No, we're excited to have you. And I think you're the first Canadian guest we've had so far. So we're excited to have you too. And um, Vancouver is a beautiful place. So I hear I've never never managed to get over there but fingers crossed one day one day soon so around your msp i mean how long has it been going we are in in our third year so three and a half years we started just before covid okay and you mentioned that you work with small to medium sized businesses which is typical for i'd say the majority of msps that i'm speaking to but is there a particular um size of business that you work well with or do you specialize in a particular vertical or are you just working with general um, uh, small to medium businesses great question so we work um with clients that are usually located in vancouver at least the headquarters here we have some clients that have like um, second or third locations around the world, like either in Canada, the US, or in um, Europe. However, ideally, the headquarters is here, and um, there are at least 10 staff members, I would say, because that's when it's becoming a little bit too much to handle for the business owner to look after all the configurations, the settings, setups, and um, just keep everything updated. But it's also a good size to start managing and really like looking after the whole infrastructure. Yeah, absolutely. And that kind of brings on to another question, which is around those sort of 10 users and above, which is kind of your sweet spot. Uh, are you generally taking the role as the the IT department there or do some of them have IT staff internally as well? So um, we're generally like the full managed provider. However, we have um, also started the like co-managing bigger companies where we come in with the security experience and just advise them. We do have security assessments that I run um, like with our clients every half year. And then if we co-manage, it depends on the client's needs. It could be like every quarter or once a year, depending on what they choose. And then we just advise them. Okay. And is the would you say that the uh, cyber requirements from a regulation point of view are different in Canada to the US, to the UK, for example? Is it more regulated there, would you say? Um, they are they're different a little bit, especially for like um, any... Um, organizations that handle sensitive data, for example, like medical office, uh, law companies, they have to store their data on Canadian soil. And um, But in general, I would say cybersecurity, it's like globally. So no matter where you go, there are certain like cyber hygienes that users should um, take care of. And um, we're trying to teach like basic um yeah, give users basic trainings 
and then look after specifics uh, regulations within Canada as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think it's it's a global thing. But um, in the UK, there's some government initiatives. And I know in Australia and different parts of the world, people are tackling it in a different way. But the problem's the same everywhere, I guess. It's just how it's being dealt with. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so let's move on to your relationship with JumpCloud. Um, one of the questions I always like to ask, because it, um, our marketing department are always interested, if, not, if no one else is, how did you initially hear about JumpCloud and why were you attracted to JumpCloud? Um, so we actually started to get in touch with Gentleman about like three and a half years ago when we onboarded their first client. I've heard about it before, but I've never really worked with JumpCloud. And then when we onboarded the client, they already had the infrastructure in place. So it um, was more like rump- jumping right into it, which was great. And then, um, yeah, when I started working with it, I really liked it because it's everything's there everything is like simplified and intuitive you just have to go through the portal and yeah yeah that's good to hear and so that was a particular client that had the jump cloud requirement and then you kind of started from there or did you plan to push jump cloud out to all of your clients right so um the one client was where we started and then we've onboarded like a few more clients and um, wherever it makes sense, we do try to implement JumpCloud, especially if they have just like, let's say they're a smaller company under 10 users, they start with building like um, their like local users as their infrastructure. They don't have a server in place because everything is like cloud-based nowadays, um, but they don't have like a really connection in the infrastructure. So that's when we're trying to build up JumpCloud. Yeah, fascinating. And a typical client of yours is that um, you mentioned everything's in the cloud now, which is pretty common. But is that a mixed sort of Microsoft, Google, or mainly Microsoft cloud? Uh, How do you do that? A lot of the times, yes. So um, it really depends, again, on the needs and the preference of the clients. Sometimes they just have Microsoft 365 because they like the applications. They're set up with the email but sometimes they are set up with Google Workspace, let's say, but they still like to work with Microsoft applications. And then it it just becomes like a whole mess in terms of managing password uh, management. So in that case, JumpCloud has this amazing functions with um, single sign-on or like pushing the multi-factor authentication that we can leverage and it makes it much easier to like manage everything in the background. Yeah, no, it's, I think it's. I'm beginning to see that more and more where people have got these mixed environments, whereas before MSPs, would, a lot of them would just be Microsoft or just be Google. But now it's not as straightforward because the clients are wanting different things. And I guess it's the same with the devices themselves. Are you, are you a mixture of sort of Windows devices, Mac and Linux as well? Yeah, correct. Like uh, we have just a few, like really a handful Linux devices, however, um, depending on the client, sometimes they just have Windows, sometimes they have only Macs, but loads of them have hybrids. And it really depends on the position where the users are. Let's say you have an architect company and you have the office manager that um, might doesn't, um, yeah, that, that is happy to work on a Mac device, but then you have um, CAD technicians or designers and they have like their training on Windows devices, and then it's easier for them to like keep this going. So that's when the hybrid comes in and you're trying to juggle in between. 
Yeah, um, that's good. And Linux, I always I always mention Linux because I'm sure one day someone's going to say that yes, they use it. I've never I've never seen anyone use a Linux device as a daily sort of desktop. But I think people there are there are people in Jump Cloud that do. But I think it's a special breed, maybe engineers or technical people. I agree. I don't think like Linux is um, like spread that much between users that work in different professions, like architects or in the medical field. They just want to have their devices working. And I feel like Linux is more for us technicians to play a little bit around. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So um, moving on to the next section around the benefit that Jump Cloud for your clients. I mean, you've touched upon some already, but what are the sort of pain points that Jump Clouds helps you overcome with your clients? Yeah, as I mentioned, like the biggest one, I think, is when they don't have a server or infrastructure in place. They were just working on um, local devices or local administrators, like administrators, not even standard users, and just getting in this um, structure and connecting not only the devices, but also the firewall and like the whole network itself, and then making it easy to manage. Because when clients are hire us, we're an external IT, we're not um, like on their site every day. So we need to be able to manage everything remotely and set it up so it, that it's easier for the user. Like all the onboarding is simplified because we're using less time when we onboard a new device or new user, even when a new user just comes into the office, um, we can quickly ask them to turn on the device, configure it in the background, and the user is there pretty much in a in a blink because it's so instant that jump load swings nowadays. I feel like three, four years ago or like three and a half years ago, it took a little bit, like five to 10 minutes to swing, but nowadays it's, the users just there so that's great and you hit upon the sort of magic msp word there which is around time saving i guess is that um the time is money in the msp sort of model as you know so i guess that the the quicker that you can onboard clients and get things up and running is is beneficial to keeps the client happy uh, and it obviously helps you um manage your sort of service desk more efficiently and get more done so that's great to hear that you're using it for that I also like the um, the policies and like scripts that you can use in JumpCloud that is less. I do still think it's beneficial for the client, but also for us, for example, like the updates on a Mac, you can just like run them smoothly without the user really noticing. And then um, almost my favorite function, I discovered this like two, three years ago, like while in that you can block certain things for a user that the Mac, that they don't run the updates themselves because we had issues in between where a user would just push the button and then other applications stopped working. We had to roll back and Jumpload was an amazing solution for that one, just blocking this one uh, particular field and still leaving the users all other abilities so they can like interact with their devices that they need. Yeah, it's a nice feature for sure. And it it shows the, well, I guess one of the challenges that we as MSPs have is that some users will never update their devices and some will just update the devices whenever they see an update, do it straight away. So I, I guess you're, you're trying to sit in the middle and control that process a little. 
So when looking at the kind of Jump Cloud product, as you say, you've been working with it for a while now and it's changed a lot. I mean, do you are you still working mainly around the identity access management or are you, are you using some of the newer features around password management or remote control yet? So we actually haven't used the password manager or like I've tried the remote control, but it wasn't working at that time and we have our own systems in place. However, um, yeah, I'm completely curious to try this out again. The password manager, I also haven't tried yet, but that's on my list. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to continue to hopefully see additional products being added on to Jump Cloud as we go. Um, so looking with from an advice hat on, if you were speaking with an MSP at an event that you attended and they you mentioned Jump Cloud, um, what advice would you give them in terms of how would you explain Jump Cloud to them? How would you say that they could be successful with Jump Cloud? Um, for sure, especially if they're starting out, I would say to test it out really from them for themselves, trying to break things. That's how I usually approach new technology. Try to break it, try if I can see to fix it and how it's helping me. And then, um, yeah, just trying to move clients over that are hard to manage at the moment because there are too many solutions. They have too, like, um, like two shuttered processes where they try to update one device by another and just really um, setting a baseline, setting policies and going from there. Especially like starting with one, really understanding Jump Cloud, working with this support if needed, and then going from there because it's easy to learn. It's as I mentioned at the beginning, it's quite intuitive. Um, yeah. And when you have those conversations with your with your clients uh, around Jump Cloud, um, how are you pricing that? Are you kind of selling that as a separate line item, or are you bundling the service into your managed service offering, and or just another way? How do you do that? Yeah, so we are actually doing it as its own individual license monthly, but we are considering to switching to an annual contract because. We're happy with JumpCloud. It's working since over three years. Actually, the client that we started with, they have been longer with JumpCloud. And it's their main part of the infrastructure. I would almost say the heart of the infrastructure. It integrates with all their systems on site. So um, it's kind of a no-brainer to try and to uh, like to have it as an annual subscription rather than monthly. I do believe, because we just talked with it. Um, about it with the account manager that there was an annual before. I'm not quite sure, but we haven't really explored this option. So we're just in the talks about it. Okay. So let's move away from Jump Cloud a little, because I'm curious um, about your experience with this. You're obviously um, well respected in the MSP community and speak to MSPs and know how it works. So I've got a couple of questions on the industry, really, that are kind of linked, but do you see the sort of MSP space continue, continuing to grow over the coming years or conversely contract? And I guess also, why do you think it's important that SMBs engage with MSPs? Good question. So, yeah, definitely. I see MSPs growing. There are um, so many MSPs in Vancouver already. We also work with MSPs in the US. Um, I've know, I know some in Europe as well. but the main point is 
technology is part of our life. We are like carrying it everywhere. We're using it everywhere. It's in our homes, in our business. Everyone wants to be more efficient, more productive. So especially with AI coming in, um, companies are just using it. But they usually just see the benefits where there is a part where it's about IT security, cybersecurity. Um, and that's usually not looked at from the company's perspective because they just want to have things faster, things better. But um, the users who are implementing this, who are playing around with it, sometimes they don't look at the configurations. They don't see the risks. Or if it's implemented once, they don't look at it again. So maybe they set it up in a secure way, but two years down the road, the um, the configurations need to be updated or updates needs to be run. So I, I believe that companies need an MSP or like a co-managed support that's just pointing out the risk and then it's up to them what steps they want to take, but it's hard for them to see, right? It's like, Almost you read your own um, essay. You don't see the mistakes that you make. It's better to have someone else looking over and just making sure all your data is secure, all like all information, sensitive information, especially is secure and on the right, um, like for Canadians on the right side of the soil. Yeah, that's uh, that's a great way of looking at it, actually, about sort of marking your own uh, essay. Um, it's that's uh, it's a good way to think about it. And are you seeing that your clients, the SMBs, um, are kind of more uh, becoming more aware of the issues? I mean, they must be seeing on the news all the time when you see these huge breaches in nationwide companies. Is that filtering down to small businesses? So when you're talking security, are they more receptive or are they still it's never going to happen to us kind of thing? Um, also a great question, because. Unfortunately, the news just portray like bigger issues, right? If there is a million, a billion hack, they only like show this one, but the smaller companies who get hacked or have a breach, they're unfortunately not coming up in the news. Um, I've actually seen statistics specifically for Canada for like police reports um, where things are not reported because businesses either say like the hack didn't do as much damage. Um, they might don't get money back. They are not interested. They sometimes just shut off um, websites or do things to get rid of the service, but they don't report it. So there's quite an, like a high number that no one really can see or like really grasp. And um, yeah, it's just, it's difficult for smaller businesses to understand really what's happening without it happening to them. Whereas we always try to train our clients and educate them. I have in the last six months, I have a lot of more trainings on cybersecurity, just basics, um, refreshers, what, what is a good cyber hygiene? Um, how should you store your passwords? And like, how should you create them? What are the, what are the habits that users should develop? And how are things um, like... How should you set up things? What devices you might don't want to have in your network? I'm like, yeah, users are becoming more receptive and they're also more careful now. Yeah, and it's interesting when you say that because I was just thinking as you were talking, we, again, in the UK, we get, if there's a, a large breach, it's publicized, but a lot of smaller people, uh, breaches probably don't. So I guess no one really knows what the size of the problem is because no one's reporting a lot of these smaller issues. 
Yeah, exactly. And when you think about it, it's like um, actually 37% of businesses uh, that have breaches, they're under $100,000. And I'm just always asking myself, like, would our business survive if I lose from one of the other second $100,000? Am I able to keep stuff running? Am I able to like keep the processes up running? And most of the businesses, unfortunately, they wouldn't. When I ask this question in my trainings, they all shake their head. So we really have to be careful what users are doing and how they are trained. Yeah. And I know that you've literally written a book on um, on this in terms of educating end users. But how do you get the balance to educate and inform without trying to sound like it's sort of scaremongering or just trying to make it sound like you're trying to sell product rather than educate? Um, a lot of the things that user can do, they're literally free. Multi-factor authentication, it's free. It comes usually with the solution and that just needs to be configured. Um, that's one thing. Second thing, anything in the backend for the configuration about security, is it like JumpCloud, Google Workspace, Microsoft 365? These are all helpful tools. So you pretty much pay with your subscription that you can configure the necessary things in the backend. And then, um, yeah, user training is the most important because you invest in once and then users learn for their personal lives as well. If you just look at um, password management, it affects their personal emails, it affects their personal bank accounts. So I'm always trying to like um, connect this and then I, I feel users are more receptive to it. Yeah, I really like that. I think that's a great way of doing it because it is personalized. I think we sometimes detach the business and the personal, whereas people are vulnerable uh, for sort of compromises and hacks on the, in their personal life as well around password breaches and things. So joining it together and saying this is just good practice wherever you're dealing with passwords, that's really good. Exactly. So we're on to the final question, and you may have answered this, actually, because it, it may have been something we've spoken about already around training. I don't know. But if you had one piece of advice to offer uh, an MSP that was starting out, maybe a lesson that you've learned along your three and a half years, uh, what would that be? Um, yeah, as you said, user training is really important, um, no matter what solutions they have. But in general, for an MSP specifically, I would say, um, Choose one um, baseline solution that you work with. Really learn it, really try to promote it to your customers and set them up because there are so many solutions out there and it's taking a lot of time to learn them all. So, and then on the other side, documentation is one of my highest values because without documentation, you can't grow your team, you can't share your knowledge. So document everything that is necessary for the future, either like configurations, settings, setups, and um, yeah, share this with your clients, be transparent on what you do. Yeah, I like that tip. And that's certainly the one around training. I think as MSPs, we're a little bit guilty in the past of being kind of technical and sort of product and um, servers and bits and bytes and all this kind of stuff where the, and trying to solve the problems through technology, whereas a lot of the cybersecurity issues can be solved by training the training the users to be more aware of the threats that are out there. Yeah. There's actually um, like 98% of cyber attacks or breaches are happen because of users 
And if you look at our lives, we're busy, right? There is emails coming in, just like imagine someone on the reception, emails coming in, staff members are just coming up, maybe customers coming in, the phone is ringing. And then there's there's one email coming in from the business owner. Hey, can you just quickly send me that or like some information? They click the link, the breach happens. So just really stepping back and um, realizing we don't all have to multitask is also a big lesson for all of us, I think. Yeah, that's food for thought and great advice. And with that, that's uh, that's time. So thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks again for your continued business with JumpCloud. We do appreciate it and hopefully it continues long into the future. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Chris. No problem. Take care. Speak soon. Thanks again to Teresa for joining us on the JumpCloud Partner Podcast. I've put all of her contact details in the description below. But until next time, take care. Thanks for listening. Please consider subscribing so you don't miss an episode. And if you want to know more about JumpCloud, check out the partner pages at jumpcloud.com or email the team at partners at jumpcloud.com.